Uh, we'll, we're continuing on in Proverbs this morning. Um, so if you'd like to open your Bible, we will again, once again, be kind of moving around Proverbs. So the Proverbs will be on the screen for you. Um, so don't feel you need to jump around too much. But uh, this morning we are, uh, last few weeks we've been thinking about friendship, uh, household wisdom. Last week we thought about wisdom when it comes to money. Um, this week we're thinking about uh, wisdom when it comes to our emotions, um, which, uh, yes, the Bible does speak to. Um, so uh, please do open up your Bible to Proverbs. And uh, uh, as I said previous weeks, the, the different verses and the outline will come out in the weekly email. So don't feel you need to know everything down. Just um, set, let God's word speak into your heart uh, in these moments. Just going to pray for us, first of all, before we um, dive in. Let's bow our heads. Father, what we know not uh, in this moment, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, please make us. For the sake of your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So as we sit here this morning, um, it's safe to say that even in the span of just this morning, you all have already experienced a whole mix of emotions um, as you came here. Maybe it was anger. You were short with your spouse or your kids as you tried to get out the door in time for church. Maybe you're anxious. You're anxious for the week ahead. Maybe work's particularly difficult right now. Perhaps you're feeling sad and sorrowful. You've experienced loss recently. A part of your life just isn't panning out the way you had hoped it would. Maybe you're even jealous. You look around the room this morning and someone has got something that you don't have. They've got maybe certain gifts or they've got certain experiences or maybe you would describe yourself as fearful. You're fearful for the future of what others think of you, maybe. You want others to like you and to love you, to think well of you. And so you come in the room this morning and you're on edge as you serve, as you interact with people. Maybe even you're fearful with respect to how people think you will look. Our daily lives are this swirling pool of different Emotions, fear, guilt, jealousy, anxiety, sorrow, joy. How are we to understand these and navigate them as we experience them? Well, Proverbs, maybe surprisingly to you, has a lot to say to our different emotions. It offers us much needed wisdom in how to truly understand what we're experiencing and also to effectively engage those emotions. We need that on a personal level. We need wisdom to understand what we are experiencing and to engage well with our emotions. That's what Proverbs is all about. It's not just living life as God would intend. It's living well, living well according to his ways and to his word. So we need wisdom in how to manage our emotions well, to navigate them well. Proverbs includes wisdom for that. As a church, we need wisdom to understand and engage one another's emotions, which we're called to do. We're called to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. When one member suffers, all suffer together. When one member is honored, all rejoice together. And as a church, our emotions also are evangelistic. When we grieve with hope together, when we express compassion to one another, when we rejoice in God, when we display contentment as Christians, when we get righteously angry at injustice, we embody Jesus. We point people to the good news of Jesus and to the character of God. 
And for all of us, whether we're Christians or not, we, as those who are made in the image of God, part of being made in the image of God is that we were made to feel. We were made to feel. And we can only truly understand and navigate those feelings through the lens and through the wisdom of God's Word and God's will. So that's what we're going to explore this morning. We're going to see how God's Word gives us wisdom to cultivate godly emotion. God's wisdom gives gives us the ability to cultivate godly emotions. Just before we dive into, uh, we're going to tackle five different emotions that Proverbs touches on. Of course, there's lots we could say on these five, but we're specifically looking at what Proverbs has to say. Just maybe a few things up front to help us navigate our emotions. First of all, what are emotions? Well, they are those things that we experience, fear, guilt, jealousy, anxiety, all those things. The author Ed Welsh um, says this about our emotions. We could sum up our emotions this way. They usually proceed from our hearts. They're given shape by our bodies. That's, we're embodied souls, right? So they manifest through our face, through our actions, through our bodies. They're reflective of our relationships. They bear the etchings of both the goodness and the meaningless of work. They provide a peek into how we fare in spiritual battle and they identify what we really believe about God. And he does make one qualification there. They usually proceed from the heart. That is that we are embodied souls. So often sometimes emotions can come about because our bodies cause them, but often they come from our heart. And even when our bodies are significantly involved, whether through a disordered body or an unruly brain, our hearts will always be engaged in that. I like to think of emotions this way. Ultimately, emotions are what happens when our hearts are squeezed. When your heart is squeezed by difficulties or joys, what comes out? Emotions. Your heart is squeezed. What you love and what you value and what you believe is revealed through your emotions. So what does God give us in order to navigate those emotions. Well, we're going to touch on um, these five. Um, uh, Just before, again, another thing to maybe just up front is not all emotions are bad, nor are all emotions good. Not all emotions are bad, nor are all emotions good. We are right to be sorrowful and sad when we lose a loved one. As uh, author Tim Keller says, that's what love does when it encounters loss. It grieves. It's sorrowful. So sorrow and grieving is good in the face of loss, but it can also be bad to feel good. Maybe the kind of peace or happiness you would get from a substance abuse. So as we explore emotions, we need to be wary of two things. Given that they're not all bad and they're not all good, we mustn't be ruled by them. We can't let them dictate our lives, but we shouldn't ignore them either, not just sweep them under the rug. We must, in in the words of uh, uh, authors Grove and Smith, who uh, have written a book called Untangling Emotions, a helpful book, they say we should engage them. We should take the opportunity of our emotions to look under the bonnet of our heart to see what's going on. To take it as an opportunity to assess where our hearts are at, what we love, what we value, what we believe, and use that as an opportunity to grow in our spiritual health. How do we grow? We pour our hearts to God. We take our emotions to Him. We pour out our hearts and then we feed truth into our hearts. We allow the truth of God's Word to form our feelings. Too often we think with our feelings, don't we? We allow our feelings and our emotions to override our thinking and what we know to be true. 
The Bible calls us to do the opposite, to feel with our thinking, to feel with right thinking. And as we tackle these five, it's not that we can compartmentalize all of our emotions on any given day. Life will be a mix of these emotions all of the time. And in fact, I was speaking to a friend recently about Proverbs, just chatting about how to even preach through Proverbs, and the fact that when you encounter different chapters in Proverbs, there's such a mix of different things because that really reflects what life is like. You don't just um, enter a day and the only emotion you experience is anger, although that's how we're tackling it for helpfulness this morning. You experience so many different things in one day. You experience money and marriage and anger and jealousy and, and all those kind of things. But it's helpful maybe in these next few moments to recognize maybe if there's a dominant emotion in your life right now and maybe direct your focus there first of all. So firstly, God gives me wisdom to be godly when I feel angry. Proverbs has a lot to say about angry, uh, being angry. Anger is essentially saying that is wrong. It's making a moral judgment. It's one of the most common emotions that you and I will wrestle with. There is, of course, righteous anger. The Bible talks about that. The Bible presents God as being righteously angry at sin and injustice. And we see in the life of Jesus, he's angry and indignant when he loses his friend Lazarus. He's angry when the, God's uh, temple is used for um, making money rather than for worship. Zeal of God's house consumed him. He expressed an anger, righteous anger. He was also angry at the hypocrisy and the hard-heartedness of the, the Pharisees. That anger flowed from a perfect love for God and for others. And we can feel righteous anger. Maybe the kind of anger you might feel when an innocent loved one is harmed or taken advantage of. Yet not all anger is good, and we are not God. We don't often express our anger in a Christ-like way. Our anger manifests itself in arguing, insulting, irritability, impatience, critical spirit, violence, abuse, even murder. Anger can lead there. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount a while ago. It flows from a heart that ultimately demands, you must live by my rules, by my way, on my time, or face my wrath. That's what anger says. And Proverbs brings much-needed wisdom to anger. The fact that it has so much to say speaks to how prevalent and how dangerous anger can be. Here's the first thing. The consequences of anger, Proverbs 15, 18, it stirs up strife. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Anger creates conflict. That's a consequence. It also leads to other sin. Proverbs 29 verse 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. When we give in to anger, when we vent our anger, it's not just anger that comes out, it's a whole bunch of other things. And in light of that, therefore, we have to combat anger. How do we do that? Well, again, Proverbs gives us wisdom in that. Proverbs 19.11 tells us to wise up. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense. You see here how right thinking informs right feeling. Good sense will make us slow to anger. That is, when we get wisdom, when we realize the danger and the consequences of anger, we'll be much slower to vent it. When we realize the conflict and the strife and the sin that it leads to, we'll be much slower to give in to it. Wise up, slow down, Proverbs 16, 32. 
And if there's one thing you take away from anger, maybe it's this, because Proverbs repeats this over and over again. Slow down. Anger wants to vent immediately, harshly, rashly. Proverbs, time and time again, slow down. Whoever's slow to anger, that is, whoever's patient, is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city, Proverbs 16.32. What that tells us is that spiritual strength, the kind of self-control that that verse talks about, is even more significant than the kind of strength that can overtake a whole city. Self-control should be prized above any kind of earthly power or prestige or ability to do things. That's a rare quality. It's a significant quality. That verse also tells us that it's not going to be easy. It's a battle. We are to rule over it. It reveals that in general, not just with anger, with a lot of our simple emotions, there is a battle there that needs to be ruled over. There's emotions that need to be ruled over. That many of our emotions are not good. Proverbs 29.11 complements that. A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. Quietly holds it back. There's a time to talk things through, but in the moment, often it will vent badly. Slow down, hold it back, and speak soft. Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15:1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So often arguments and conflicts escalate, don't they, because we throw in those rash words, those harsh words. They're like sword thrusts. They harm, they hurt. Rather, we should, in the moment, be patient, gentle, and speak softly. And finally, Proverbs calls us to pursue love when, it, when we experience the emotion of anger. Proverbs ten twelve: hatred stirs up strife, anger stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Anger wants to expose all the wrongness in other people and all our rightness. Love covers offenses. Love recognizes the log in our own eye. The good news for Christians is when it comes to battling anger and every emotion is we've been given new hearts, which can be patient, which can be slow to anger. We will be more slow to anger when we are conformed to the one who is slow anger. When we entrust vengeance and retribution to God rather than taking it into our own hands, which is so often why anger flares up. We want to enact justice. We want the person to face the penalty on our behalf. Leave it to God. Anger will subside when we get the kindness and the patience that God in Christ has shown to us, how he has covered our offenses, offenses how he has spoken gently to us. So that's anger. God gives us wisdom to be godly when we feel angry. God also gives us wisdom to be godly when we feel anxious. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. As those who live in a broken and fallen world, it's no surprise to us, it should be no surprise to us that we often feel concern and anxiety when we're confronted with the chaos around us whether that's the chaos of our world, of our relationships, of our bodies maybe. 
Maybe it's a fragile and often shifting economy that makes us anxious about our income and our bills. Our desire to protect our children in a difficult, harsh world makes us anxious. Awaiting the results of a blood test or a biopsy makes us anxious. The Apostle Paul himself expressed anxiety when it came to his deep care for Christians and for the church. But, of course, anxiety can cross the line from legitimate concern in the midst of a broken, fallen world to expressions of unbelief and lack of trust in God's providence his control, his care, his provision. Matthew 6 speaks to that, calls us to put our faith in God's promises and focus on his purposes. So, what does Proverbs bring to the emotion of anxiety? It helps us to understand it better and also gives us hope. That verse in 1225 tells us that anxiety strikes at our heart. I'm sure all of us have felt that, It affects us deeply. It can impact our bodies. Anxiety feels like a weight, doesn't it? Anxiety weighs us down. That verse tells you that if you experience that, it shouldn't surprise you. It can weigh us down. It's a heavy burden that we we want rid of it. We don't want to be anxious, right? We want to be rid of that. And it can often overshadow many aspects of our lives. But, but, Proverbs doesn't leave us there, but a good word makes us glad. Like with anger, anxiety, though we'll not be totally rid of it this side of eternity, doesn't need to rule our lives. It may come and go, but it doesn't need to rule our lives. A good word can, over time with much prayer, make us glad. What our hearts need most in the midst of anxiety is hope, certainty, assurance, concrete truth. That comes through the good word of God's promises, the good word of the gospel. It comes through entrusting and treasuring who God is, what He's doing in our lives and in this world. So often anxiety comes about because we feel things are out of our hands. Guess what? They are. We want certainty about the future. Guess what? God gives it to you. You won't know all the details now, but everything is in His hands. So put them into His hands. Put them into the hands whose whose hands are meant to be in. In the midst of anxiety, we need to feed truth into our hearts. We need to preach to our own hearts. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We wake up in the morning and we just listen to our emotions. That's all we hear. That's all we allow ourselves to hear rather than talking to ourselves, rather than pressing the truth of God's Word into our hearts, reminding us of His promises, reminding us of His providence. And in our weakness and our frailty, it's hard to do that, right? But that's why we have one another. We get to, we need to do that for one another. We need to press God's truth into one another's hearts when we often feel so weak to do it for ourselves. That's why if you came here this morning, that was a good decision. Because you're not meant to do it on your own. And of course, as we prayed a moment ago, cast these things onto the Lord. Humble yourselves, 1 Peter 5 tells us. 
under the mighty hand of God. That's whose hand we entrust and cast our anxieties into, the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We don't have to carry the weight. Doesn't mean we won't feel it at times, but he invites us to cast it. Entrust yourself to the work of his spirit in your heart through his word to help you navigate it. Trust in Jesus, who knows what it's like to be troubled in soul. His soul was troubled to the very point of death. He bore the weight of humanity's sin and God's wrath so that your sin, my sin, might be forgiven and our futures secured. Jesus, who comes to us and says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God gives us wisdom to be godly when we feel angry, when we feel anxious, and thirdly, when we feel sorrowful. Many things in life will cause us sadness and sorrow, whether it's grief or death or illness. Proverbs also gives two other examples of things which might bring us sorrow. The, f- the sorrow that a foolish child brings on their parents and the sorrow that comes through substance abuse, through drunken- drunkenness. Proverbs captures the effect of suffering and sorrowness, uh, sorrowfulness and again, it offers us hope. It... it, it captures the effect. It shows us that sorrow is crushing. Proverbs 15, 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Does that describe your experience? I'm sure it does. Sorrow affects the deepest part of us. It feels crushing. Proverbs 18 verse 14 tells us that that weight is hard to bear. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Physical pain is difficult, but the pain of the soul is almost unbearable. Sorrowfulness can often be deeply lonely. Proverbs 14 10, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. There's something about sorrow that whilst we should and will have people come around us to rejoice with us and weep with us, there's a sense in which sorrow is a lonely thing. But God knows our heart. God knows our heart. Others may not fully know what our hearts carry, but God does, so it shouldn't be lonely. Jesus himself perfectly and his humanity perfectly sympathizes with our weaknesses and with our sorrows and with our joys. He does know what it's like. In him you will never be lonely. Sorrow also affects us physically. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Again, it shouldn't surprise us when we feel sorrowfulness of soul that it actually affects our body too. And often it casts a shadow over every other emotion. Proverbs 14, 13, even in laughter the heart may ache. Maybe you've been there. And the end of joy may be grief. Even sometimes in life when we laugh and we're experiencing joy, sorrow can still be felt in the heart. But again, sorrow doesn't need to overwhelm us. 
there's good news, there's hope. Proverbs 15, 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bone. Do you see the pattern that's occurring in Proverbs? Good sense, good word, good news, good. Good news refreshes the bones. Proverbs 23, 18, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. In the midst of grief, what we need with all of our emotions is good news. We need the good news of, of Christ's resurrection, of a future resurrection body, of life beyond death, of the fact that though our current suffering is difficult, it is not permanent. We need to be reminded of the good news that in Christ's Spirit we have a comforting presence. We need to be reminded of God's shepherding care, that He carries us. We need to be reminded of God's enduring love. It's easy to forget those things. It's easy to let our feelings think those things aren't there, that they're not true of us. They are. Remember, don't think with your feelings. Good news serves to rejoice our hearts and refresh our bones. doesn't mean we should just silence our sorrow, by the way. doesn't mean we just shut off the tears. That's not what it's saying here. We should grieve. We should be sorrowful. In fact, it's, it's probably har it's harmful to not lament properly when we should in a godly way. But make sure you're getting good news into your heart as well. Jesus himself knew what it meant to be sorrowful. And in his humanity, he identifies with our sorrow. He was sorrowful even to the very point of death. But here's the thing about Jesus, okay? Jesus doesn't just identify himself with your sorrow. He doesn't just sympathize with it, which is good, which is important, which is comforting. He does something about it. He does something about it. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus took our sorrows and grief. He carried them and he dealt with them. His death, resurrection, and ascension marks the beginning of the end of sorrow. It's not always going to be like this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The kingdom that he's bringing in, that he has ushered in already, which is now and not yet, is one where comfort will turn, where, where mourning will turn to joy. Bless are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a kingdom now in which we can experience comfort now, and it's a kingdom where one, one day mourning will cease and there will only be joy. Psalm 30, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It may not come tomorrow morning, but it will come eventually. God gives me wisdom to be godly when I feel angry, anxious, sorrowful, and then number four, jealous. Jealous. Jealousy is maybe not an emotion that we think about much. Or maybe we don't easily identify it in our hearts because it manifests maybe more subtly through emotions like anger or anxiety. But it's essential that we assess it and confront it. Of course, again, like with all of these emotions, most of these emotions, there's righteous jealousy, the jealousy that God has for the worship of his own name. It's a righteous jealousy. And in fact, in Jesus um, kicking the money changers out of the temple, there was a whole mix of emotions there, wasn't there? There was an anger. There was an anger fueled by zealousness for jealousy for the worship of God's name. There's also the jealousy a spouse might have for their other spouse, a jealousy for exclusivity with their spouse. That's a, there, there can be a healthy jealousy there. 
that flows from a love, that flows from love for their spouse. If they weren't jealous for exclusivity with their spouse, the opposite of that would be indifference. They wouldn't care, right? So we can see that there's healthy, righteous jealousy, but yet there's also sinful envy and jealousy, which, of course, the Tenth Commandment forbids. You shall not covet. One writer states that sinful jealousy is nothing more or nothing less than greed aimed at what someone else has. It's greed aimed at what someone else has. And it's ultimately the product of discontentment and pride. It's saying God hasn't given me enough and God hasn't given me what I deserve. That's discontentment. God hasn't given me enough. God hasn't given me what I deserve. Hey, God, you got it wrong. I deserve this. It's pride. The same writer highlights why maybe jealousy is particularly intensified in our cultural moment. He says this, people in every generation have undoubtedly struggled with being content with themselves and with the things that God has given to them, but smartphones and access to social media have exacerbated these struggles in our own day by constantly bombarding us with a reminder after reminder of what we aren't and what others are and what we don't have and what others do have. Don't spend too much time on social media. If you have kids, don't let them on it for a long time for a whole bunch of reasons. Proverbs identifies the danger of jealousy and also the joy of contentment. That's what it does for us. Jealousy is deceptive. Proverbs 3.31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. Proverbs warns us from envying those who do not walk with God. Proverbs 24, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the wicked. Why? Because they have no future. Jealousy can make us think that a life lived according to God's ways, that a life not lived according to God's ways is better. We see those around us in the world seemingly better off, seemingly more fulfilled, seemingly more happy, and they don't follow Jesus. Proverbs says, don't let that deceive you. Don't envy their ways. They have no future. Jealousy can be deceptive. It's also really dangerous. In fact, Proverbs 27, verse 4, note this, says it's worse than anger. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I kind of scratched my head a little bit this week to try and figure out why is jealousy worse than anger? I think it's because anger vents itself in short bursts, doesn't it? Anger is destructive and deeply dangerous, but it vents itself in short bursts can do significant damage, of course, but there's something about jealousy that just burns away in the background continually. There's a burning bitterness there that manifests in our hearts when it comes to jealousy. And jealousy is not easily satisfied. Anger sometimes is satisfied with the, the venting of a rash word. Jealousy is not easily satisfied. It wants what someone else wants, and it also wants their downfall. It doesn't want them to have it either. It was jealousy that led to the religious leaders of the day delivering Jesus up to death. Matthew 27, for he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Why was Jesus crucified? Jealousy. 
It was jealousy that led the apostles to be imprisoned in Acts 5. Jealousy is deceptive, it's dangerous, and it decays. Again, maybe why it's so much worse than anger. Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It will eat your soul and your body. Resentment, bitterness, it will do those things. Therefore, we can't let it fester or grow in our hearts. We must put it away. Jealousy exposes what our hearts loving and valuing. How does Proverbs help us then to engage with jealousy? Guess what? Fear the Lord. Proverbs 23, 17 to 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Fear of the Lord brings our disordered love back into line. It makes us realize who God is, who we are in Christ. It makes us realize that real joy and contentment comes from obeying Him, not through what we have. It humbles us from pridefulness. The pridefulness that says, I deserve this, give it to me now, you got it wrong. Fear of the Lord humbles us and tells us God knows best. Fear of the Lord reminds us that in Christ we have everything we could ever need. As our hearts bow before our Father in fear, we increasingly realize He has eternally given us everything in Christ. That in Christ He has given us Himself. What more could we want? Fear of the Lord helps us focus on our glorious future instead of being consumed about what we have right now. And that kind of contentment frees us from being jealous of other people. It frees us up to rejoice when other people get what we don't have. It frees us up to rejoice and to celebrate when when we get things that allows us to freely enjoy the things God gives us without hoping that someone else doesn't get it. God gives me wisdom to be godly when I feel angry, anxious, sorrowful, jealous, and finally fearful. Fear comes in many forms. There's physical fear, which is a good natural reaction, the kind of fear you get when you walk to the edge of a cliff and you get that feeling of what it, the sinking feeling of, of going over the edge. There's a holy fear of the consequences of disobedience to God. There's a sense in which we should feel a fearfulness, even as Christians, for disobedience. And big fear, a big fear that Proverbs addresses is fear of man. Fear of man is caring more, ultimately is about caring more about what others think of you than about what God thinks of you. And that's particularly dangerous in Proverbs when it comes to obedience to God. If we care more about what other people think than what we think, it could well lead to us disobeying God. Proverbs 29, 25 on the screen the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear of man's a snare. It's a trap. If we are constantly dictated to by what other people think than what God thinks of us, it will feel like we're locked in fear. It may even be fatal. 
when we buckle under that peer pressure to disobey God and abandon His ways. Fear of man can manifest in different ways. Struggle with peer pressure. Maybe we experience panic. We have low self-esteem. We have an unhealthy appetite for affirmation. Affirmation is a good thing, but we have an unhealthy appetite for affirmation, and we also are crushed by any form of criticism. If you find yourself always comparing yourself to other people, that's called fear of man. You care more about what other people think than what God thinks of you. And if you regularly criticize other people, it's because you want other people to come down to your level. You want to feel good about yourself. You care too much about what they think of you. It's a snare. It's a trap. It will lock you in fear. What's the remedy? Two things. Proverbs tells us to battle fear with fear. To battle fear with fear. To care more about what God thinks than what others think. To fear his judgment, first of all. Proverbs 24, 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. If fear of man is leading you to do things that God would be displeased with, you should fear the consequences of that. You should fear him and what he might do. Luke 12 reminds us of this too. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom you're to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. For those who are in Christ, even though we've repented of our sin and we are secure in Christ, we should still approach God and Christ's final judgment with a reverence, with a fearfulness, with a trembling. Not one that doubts our eternity, but that takes his judgment seriously. If you're not in Christ, you need to fear the Lord now. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. When you do that, there is forgiveness available. Battle fear with fear, and then battle fear with trust. Trust in the Lord's protection. Trust in His wisdom. Proverbs 3, 24 to 26. When we trust the Lord's wisdom, when we trust His ways. So, you know, the temptation is to disobey God because of what other people think. Wisdom says live God's way no matter how hard it is. Here's what Proverbs 3 says will happen when you choose that. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Stop trying to build your confidence from the opinions of other people. Build it in the Lord. Trust His approval of you in Christ. What He thinks about you is what matters most, and in Christ, He loves you. He is pleased with you. He has redeemed you. So we need to get wisdom to cultivate godly emotions, to to navigate that swirling pool of emotions that we feel every day, maybe particularly this morning. You need wisdom for that. We can't allow our emotions to rule us, nor can we afford to just sweep them under the carpet. And then maybe you're thinking there, you're sitting there now thinking, well, I just feel like all my emotions have just been taken and thrown up in the air, and I don't really know where to start. I don't know what to do with them. Where do I even begin? takes a lifetime to apply that wisdom, by the way. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't overthink it. Just get close to Jesus. The authors, uh, Grove and Smith, of that book, Untangling Emotions, they say this. 
Happily, we can nurture godly maturity in our emotional lives without mastering a complex list of spiritual techniques or even consciously paying attention to our emotions. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze. There's a place to assess and analyze. Don't overthink. By pouring ourselves into simply knowing, trusting, and deepening our love for Christ, we will, as an inseparable result, develop godly feelings. Just focus on Jesus. Focus on knowing him, on loving him, on listening to him, on trusting him, and on treasuring him. Our emotions will follow suit. Our emotions will follow suit. Focus on Jesus, who in his humanity expresses emotion perfectly. In him, our emotions can be transformed and redeemed. As we are united to Christ by faith and become more like him, our emotions follow suit. In him, we can ex truly experience good emotions. As Christians, we can truly experience what joy was meant to be like, what happiness and contentment were truly meant to be. In Jesus, can we only experience peace and happiness in their perfection. And in him, all our negative emotions will one day be erased. And our experience will only be pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy in his presence. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning with the things that we are feeling and we just pour them out to you, Father. We pour our hearts out to you this morning. Our anger, our anxiety, our fear, our jealousy, our sorrow, and our, our joy, our happiness, our peace, Father, we bring all of these things before you. We ask you to work in, an, in our hearts and in our lives by your Spirit through the truths of your good news. Father, pre please, in, in this moment, bring your word to bear on our hearts in a supernatural way through your Spirit. Would we feel that good news? Would we listen to it? Would we trust it and treasure it? May it cause us to be glad. May it cause us to be hopeful. May it cause us to be content. We thank you that in Jesus, you are changing us and that you offer us a secure future. In his name we pray, amen.